Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man whose naked, mud-covered poetry jams are always a big hit. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and Pat, I am so glad that you watched the documentary. Oh my god, the documentary. DVD. Like, honestly, the document on this DVD, the documentary is kind of everything. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it is. Uh, I my first note about the documentary is well, they certainly got the voice down, uh, right? Be, yeah. Because the uh, the real the real Walt Curtis's voice, Tim Streeter, does a spot on job the way he talks in the movie. Yeah, it was kind of freakish. It really was. I watched the <laughs> yeah. documentary after the movie, and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is like this is that a- wasn't. I wasn't looking at the screen when the documentary started, and I thought, "Did they? Did they have the actor in this document? Why is why is he talking?" Right. I was. I actually thought it was the way. I was like, "I was like, wait, did the movie have him dub over his voice? Wait, what? That's weird. Did they ADR the entire dialogue? (laughs) This does not seem like the sort of person who would sit down for like twelve, like you know, (laughs) thirty-two hours of ADR dubbing sessions." Before we get to the movie this week, I do want to talk about Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. If you want to support us, keep us going. We are very glad uh, for your support. But yeah, over there for a dollar a month, uh, you help us out and you get access to bonus material. We do a non-Criterion film each month. Um, Put up a poll to let supporters vote on what we're going to watch. Recently, we did Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, it looks like this next one, after this recording, is going to be uh, the 1976 movie Network. Um, we've watched terrible movies over there, like Will Ferrell's Kicking and Screaming or The Monster Squad. Uh, we've watched really great movies over there, like Ernest Goes to Camp. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. And Dog Day Afternoon. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm really kind of, of upset that you're putting those in the same category. <laughs> <laughs> they are on. Uh, listen, it's a sliding scale, yes, but right. well, it's, uh, it's logarithmic. Well, you got to understand, it's logarithmic. So the distance, the, I believe, the, the, the in... x distance between those two films is very small, <laughs> but the y distance is very large here. I believe in horseshoe theory of film quality, <laughs> where. <laughs> Where Ernest goes to camp circles back around to uh, to become very close, but not quite on par with Dog Day After. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm I'm on board for it. Yeah, like yeah. I should Possibly never. Have the only you. horseshoe theory that holds any weight. <laughs> but yeah, that's just a dollar a month. Uh, like I said, we have a lot of fun over there. For a little extra five dollars a month, we'd like to thank those people on air. That that tier on our Patreon is literally literally called "Hear Someone Say Your Name." Uh, so uh, so at five dollars, let's hear us say Christopher Otto's name. Hi, Christopher Otto. <laughs> I don't know if it's necessary to meta this that hard. It, it <laughs> feels a little cold now at this point. 
It's like I'm sorry. We're now reading the titles of the various categories, and now we we shall do the one entitled (laughs) physical or whatever it's called, like physical stuff or something. Physicality, I think, is the name of the ten dollar and up tier, Uh, and it's actually really great too. We do something that I think is pretty special: ten dollars and up. Uh, Those supporters. For them, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we've watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little thank you note on the back and mail that off. Uh, we do like to thank those people on air as well. So thank you to Adam Speckerman, to Jason Westhaver, and to Michael McGrath for your continued yes, $10 thank you very and much. above support. Very grateful for that. Again, that is all at patreon.com slash lostincriterion if you want to support us. And uh, yeah, thanks to those who do, and thanks for listening. This week, we are talking about our second Gus Van Zandt film. Uh, quite a while ago, we watched My Own Private Idaho, and now we've got Malanoche, his first feature-length directorial. Uh, he'd worked on a couple other films before. Uh, Gus Van Zandt self-financed this with $25,000, and boy, does that show. Yep. Uh it is shot uh, in Portland, Oregon, and around Portland, Oregon, because basically whenever they needed a uh, set, uh, they drive until they found a set. <laughs> like, like for the for the out of town stuff, like they wanted to shoot in an apple orchard, so they drove till they saw an apple orchard, and then asked the person in the nearest house if they could film in that apple orchard. And that person uh, said. Uh, uh, not my apple orchard man uh and then uh when they needed to shoot in a restaurant they said all right who knows who owns somebody who owns a restaurant Uh, and they called that person and said hey can we shoot in your restaurant and that person was like yeah i actually own this restaurant i'm not like that apple orchard guy (laughs) Uh, and uh and so they'd show up in the restaurant having no idea what anything looked like uh and uh, and while this predates the Dogma 95 stuff, it's shot on a very Dogma 95 mentality of uh, only using props that are in the place you're, <laughs> you're going. So you don't take any anything with you, <clears throat> which also means you don't pay anyone to bring things for you. So Yeah, I mean, like, let, let's be very run. clear here. This air quotes philosophy is based on the idea that it costs no money. Oh yeah, right. right for that's production, I mean that's where that. You know, you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I know. I just want to be like, I, I, yeah. I. I it, Listen, Dogma ninety five is an actual ideology right. too, but is an ideology uh, stemmed from making independent films with as little overhead as possible. But yeah, Malanoche. Um, it is. It's released in nineteen eighty six. It is based on. A Portland poet named Walt Curtis wrote a chapbook. Um, a chapbook is a, a collection of poetry, self-published usually. Okay. Um, uh, I did not know that. This one, very autobiographical. Uh, Wikipedia calls it an autobiographical novel. I don't think it was actually a novel. And considering the hour-long documentary I watched on Walt Curtis, I'm not sure that he has the... Uh, <laughs> wherewithal to write a novel. Yeah, no, I, I think that's uh, probably true. Okay, here's what I will, You never know, though. Um, right. I agree with your interpretation that it is probably just a series of unconnected thoughts. Um, yeah. It just really depends. I get what we get really get into is... Um, yeah. 
whether or not you consider that a novel. Because yeah, yeah. well, chap chap books usually have a central theme to them. Like all the poetry in a chap book is is around the same thing, right? So one written about yourself or a specific uh, specific part of your right. life or personality is by its nature an autobiographical piece. Whether or not that qualifies as a novel, right. certainly yeah. not a modern novel, but. Well, yeah, I mean, I've novel. seen the word sure. novel get used like, very loosely yeah. uh, in, Listen, in our if, world. If, if uh, uh, Moby Dick is a novel, then probably Curtis's chapbook qualifies <laughs> as a novel. <laughs> I will say that the Walt Curtis Wikipedia page refers to it as an autobiographical work. Hedges its bets a little bit more. <laughs> Just, there you go. Great. Um that's delightful. It's just a work. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, he uh, did a thing, and it is autobiographically inclined. Yeah. So there yeah. you go. Malanoche and Other Illegal Adventures, um, published in 1997, according to <laughs> Wikipedia. I'm sorry, 1977 yes. is the original Malanoche chapbook. Uh, but yes. Uh, also, <laughs> among his other writings, Angel Pussy, The Erotic Flying Machine, the Sunflower and Other Earth Poems, The Mad Bomber's Notebook, The Mad Poems, The Unreasonable Ones, uh, The Roses of Portland, Peckerneck Country, Journey Across America, Rhymes for Alice Blue Night, and Salmon Song, and Other Wet Poems. Um, <laughs> so, now, my question for you is, uh, a thing yes. I realized when, we were, when I was watching this was, it's going to be very hard for us, you being you and me being me, to engage with this movie purely on the grounds of the movie itself. Because they did include the documentary. They did include the documentary. And and the documentary is is, is interesting. The documentary, by the way, directed by Bill Plimpton, uh, is from, uh, what year? 1997 is when it came out. It's called Walt Curtis, the Peckerneck Poet. Um, they did include the documentary and, and thing as contextual basis for who Walt Curtis is and the fact that Walt Curtis was on set and, you know, even played a character in the movie, right? Right. Um, has a little cameo role as George, I think is what he calls himself. Um, because the his entire bit is someone talking, <laughs> recounting someone talking to him, and they use his name. Uh, uh, you know, and that's that's interesting contextual information that I don't know that if we necessarily need. I think we could uh, we yeah. could have I mean, managed to talk about this movie for an hour without the contextual information. I, I agree. I'm glad to have it. The contextual information does I you know, it's a, a thing that I want to kind of think about and talk about is whether or not that contextual information changes our perception of the movie itself or not. Um hmm. Well, that depends on what our perception of the movie itself well, that's, was that's before the we thing, got that right? information, it's right? It's like, well, you like, I don't know. It, I found this challenging. Uh, yeah. Mainly because you you get into this weird cross-section. We've run into this a billion times at this point, it feels like. You get into this cross-section where you 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 find yourself with, in choices about, like, do you get, do you engage with the film from a filmmaking perspective? Do you engage with it from a sort of like 
con- like story perspective or do you ga- engage with it for like sort of like the sort of extra meta information that's sort of in the story um from we already sort of talked about the filmmaking perspective it's it's rough um yeah you get you know that's always a complicated thing right because it, it's air quotes rough on purpose uh, right. But at the but same time, it's, it's not because it was made on a shoestring budget. So, like, that, it looks the way right. it looks because it kind of has to look the way it looks. It can't really look But like Van Zandt also has a very distinct eye, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, and does some very interesting things with the shots. Um, there's a sequence that's clearly an homage to the third man. Mm-hmm. And shooting in black and white as itself is sort of a meta homage to, to black and white films in general, noir in particular, and the third man, I think, well, is very I mean, it doesn't here. hurt that it has voiceover narration which is always one of those right 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 guaranteed giveaways right like oh i wonder what style we're going to be aping today yeah but but when uh, when walt the character walt uh finds johnny again in the third act it is very much an overt reference to the third right uh van zant talks about shooting in black and white because he found it easier uh and and says you know uh, some people say black and white's harder um uh, and we've we've talked about that like like with if we talked about the sequences in black and white and how how very different they are to the sequences in color. I um, I will say this, I I think Van Zant is p- proud of what he made. I yeah. don't think that his statement that <laughs> black and white is easier than color is true, and it shows in the video of the movie itself. Uh, yeah, it is interesting to look at. It is like visually fascinating, but it is also mostly just a black screen, right? Well, eighty lit to ninety percent of white. the time, what? Well lit black and white can be very interesting, and the contrast can be very interesting. Right absolutely. here, a lot of what's happening is muddled and purposefully muddled to an extent. Right. Um, the sex scenes, I think, are purposefully. I, I agree. That's definitely are. true. Like, I just. I found that like you, I got into a problem that I've had when we've watched, uh, especially independent black and white films before, which is, I spent most of my time looking at a black screen where I couldn't see anything, like, or I, you know, it was it's super high contrast, but not in the way that like, not in the pleasant high contrast way that we've encountered before, and it's a style. Yeah. It, it is. It's just that, um, what a. Well, first off, one thing that sets this apart from Dogma 95 is that Dogma 95, rule number four, is that things must be in color, uh, but that special lighting is not acceptable, um, which is what I was, uh, the reason I come up with these rules is I was trying to trying to figure out what, if Dogma 95 has any rules on external lighting. I'm sure it does. Um, it, it, you found out it does, but but that's the thing like, about it, right? That's, that's, that is a... There's a reason why you wouldn't shoot in black and white trying to stick with that sort of thought process anyway. Yeah. But then a sort of secondary right. offset of that is is if you're shooting in black and white with all natural light, that's border sort of on impossible indoors. Yeah. It's not, yeah. but it is nearly impossible indoors. Um, right. It, Particularly shooting on locations in tenements. <laughs> right. It's just – and it's – I don't know. what What I mean is it's like – when I'm presented, and I don't want to rag, I don't want to like tear right. into this, this movie. Thing. Isn't Dogma ninety five? So we don't want to. Right, I know. Don't and that's why, on Dogma I, that's why I want to sort of or... get away from that. <laughs> right. My issue right. is more that like when a movie is this 
visually difficult, it does make the movie harder to watch for me. That's just a right. personal right. perception that, like, it's not I. In that right. it's like you know you find yourself spending a certain amount of brain power just trying to understand what you're visually seeing, uh, right? And I spent a lot of brain power on that, like trying to decode the information on the screen and render whatever was on there into like faces and objects. Uh, right. Right. It, it, and and especially since it's it's you know very noirish in its sort of like right everything's happening is, in the dark, which is why the scenes where it's actually memorable, the visual style, are the ones where it's actually emulating noir explicitly. Right. right. The, re- the revelation of Johnny in the alley at the end is a beat-for-beat uh, beat <laughs> recreation of the similar scene in The Third Man. Right. And uh, down to the footsteps, really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the person yelling out the window. Um and that is that is one instance where they use a bright light to illuminate his face and dark shadows to create explicit contrast. Right. Whereas the sex scenes are a handheld camera and people stumbling around in the dark. Right. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of the scenes are somewhere in between there. There are quite right. a few scenes that are a mixture of there are, are somewhere in between those two polar opposites. Um, right. But yeah, no, it's just it's you know it, it it's it's visually interesting. It's just one of those ones where we're we're just getting into a sort of film where I would be hard pressed to like force somebody to watch this with me. Yeah, and not because of necessarily oh. content. That's a whole other discussion. Right. But because like you know, please sit down and watch this thing that gave me a headache, please. <laughs> Right, right. You know, right. Th- th- that actually caused me eye strain because I was try- like, I was putting a lot of squinting in. Um, right. What is going on here? Uh, and I get that, yeah. Uh, and the fact that's shot on sixteen millimeter. <clears throat> Certainly, it's much easier to have dynamic <laughs> dynamic contrast in a studio film from the 1930s right than in a 16 millimeter handheld camera made for 20 movie made for $25,000 in Portland. Absolutely. Uh, I, but but yeah. this all, this all stemmed from Van Zandt saying like, Oh yeah. Shooting black and white's a cinch. I'm like, I, I don't know right. that you, what you just said is a, is a factual right. statement, sir. Right. Uh, that, that interview on the DVD with Van Zandt. Uh, I did not. There's get a couple a d- to watch that though. The, the interview. Yeah, there's a there's a couple different ways to read it. He says something essentially like that, um, and there's a couple couple different reads. I think you could take away from watching that is either someone who believes in his art and is sure of himself, or it's someone who doesn't know how to answer questions off the cuff and is just saying whatever comes to mind immediately. I can believe that. <laughs> that seems, and I can believe either. <laughs> really. <Yeah. laughs> um, well, and also you stick you you you. There's a certain sort of thing where you sort of want to stick by what you made, right? Like you don't want to right, rag right, on course. your own film for no reason. That like, yeah. you know, it, it, there's no reason yeah. to do it. Like it's already out. It's you know it it already exists in the world. You, like you can't re- like retroactively make it different by talking about it like you did a bad job or something. Yeah. It's just interesting. I, I it's it's just interesting because that. That comment right. sparks something in me where it's like, well, wait a minute now. 
Like, yeah. I don't know that that now, doesn't feel true. Now, as far as the film's content goes, I think I think we have a lot to talk about yeah, about what it's saying about power dynamics and right. Well, and that's uh, where and that's where you get into the documentary providing a certain amount of con, or con like does give you some perspective yeah. to understand. It doesn't necessarily change I think anything. That's where I think maybe watching the documentary is detrimental. Yes, I can agree with Walt, that. Walt is a specific type of person, a specific type of person I've interacted with before mm-hmm. and uh, and met before. And there are a lot of older gay men I know um, who are Walt's age or a little bit younger uh, fit that, or at least their stories about what they were like in the 70s and 80s fit that. Uh, but it is not... It is not a homosexual thing. It is the personality. The personality is a male thing. Um, yes. It, well, and it's, perhaps it is. It is. I think it is to a certain extent a an out. Yeah. It is a. It is a um, a manifestation of of the the sort of contrast between, especially of a certain era where you deal with like your desire to be both masculine and also dealing with things that are not considered masculine by society. And you know what I mean? There's a, yeah, there's a, this is a very specific manifestation that like we, you and I, like everybody's dealt with people who kind of have these sort of weird, like uncomfortable ways of talking about things. Um, But also that, that melding of, uh, of lustful desire for someone underage and confusing that for legitimate romantic love, absolutely, yeah, is a thing that straight white men oh get absolutely all the time. Yeah, I mean that's a, so. that's a that's a whole nother thing that is yeah that <laughs> right. is true across the board. That is a that is a man right. that is a separate sort of manifestation of American masculinity for sure. Right. Um, right. I say American because that's specifically what you and I have familiarity with. It is not exclusive right, right, to America right. either. But that um, sort of machismo, I'm sure, exists in other absolutely. cultures too. What I was uh, more talking I, about is I that I believe it's a byproduct of patriarchy more right. than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's just I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to necessarily get too broad, extending beyond what we actually know right. in our own existence. Right. Um, what I will say is though, there's that other thing where, like, okay, like there's a there's a scene where they're eating dinner, and uh huh. Okay, there's a bajillion scenes in the in the. I'm specifically talking about the documentary, just for because we can get kind of past the context, okay. and then that and it's sort of done. All right, um, all right. But like, he's there. They we have all these sort of like private chats with him. Yeah, where he's talking about things, and he'll like lean over and just like give you like that sort of an aside about a topic that he wants to share his opinion about. Like yeah. for example, like why women like dogs, right? Um, yeah, but but also that's Bill Plimpton wanting us to know that Walt is an asshole, right? Well, that's he's what I'm saying, saying. That directly after Walt read a poem about uh, getting a dog to give him oral absolutely. sex. Absolutely, no, I totally. So. Yeah, no, I, I'm. I, what I'm saying is though, is that like. There's another personality type that that part is a separate sort of personality type that you and I have that you and every other person is yeah. also engaged with, 
and met before, which is a whole like is is this very where you're like, why is this person? Why are they talking? <laughs> yeah, why is this person talking to me? And like, yeah. it, it's really fascinating because like, it it is it is a weird man. Like, this is this is going to be one of those really challenging episodes. I've already realized that. Um, let's just let's just pack it in. Let's just call it a day. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. What I'm saying though is like, um, where you we we talked about this a little bit. Like, I think last week. Where some a person can have ideas that you don't think are the worst ideas in the world, and then a person can also be the worst person you've ever heard talk at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And like Yeah. And and I don't know how to describe it. Like this is a specific weird, uncomfortable uncle personality right. that exists in the world that we've all had to deal with. Oh yeah. That is like, oh man, I've never seen a documentary that is an hour long. A documentary of weird, uncomfortable uncle. <laughs> well, this weird, un- uncomfortable uncle also happens to be a poet and really a public performance artist. Yeah. And how much of this is that's where I, that's him, what I'm saying. Him performing for the camp. Him wanting to burn his car is definitely performance right absolutely and that's where it gets even more complicated right and that's why i did want to talk about the documentary is that like yeah separate you get this especially with people who have more performance style art i don't know what is him being an asshole because he's an asshole and what percentage of it is him being an asshole because it's part of the performance that he's doing for this camera and that is always a crazy experience for me in movies but especially in air quotes documentary right we got into this with like gray gardens and things like that what percentages of this is real and what percentage of this is performance and editing so right we don't have an answer to that Uh, question i don't i'm not proposing there's an answer i'm just saying it's a thing that i that always gets into my head which is where where I think we need to leave Walt, yeah. understanding that that Walt inspires the Walt character. Right. And there are a lot of meta layers of that, right? Van Zant is working from material written by Walt, right? Right, but Walt is also Autobiographical present material f- written by right. Walt. And Walt is present for the presentation here. Right. Is Walt on Walt with Walt present when Walt right. is being... F- reproduced like there's a lot of walt in this has to be also in the inter the interview on the dvd van zant says that uh there is very little in the movie that isn't from the book which suggests the book has some sort of narrative structure that you know having not read it and having seen it referred to as a chat book maybe i'm not giving it credit for um well, that makes me wonder because those, there's all those voice narra- voiceover narrations in there. They sound like right. they would come from the book directly. We don't right, know right. that they do, and they, but they, they sound themselves, like they would. They also fit into Walt's style of poetry, though, too. Absolutely, right? yes. To the point where the narration could just be I kind of think it probably is. Right. I think it probably is right. direct excerpts. Yeah. Now, now Walt as... And maybe the documentary does help here. Um, 
Walt as sort of, you know, in watching this movie, I actually thought a lot about women, in, uh, woman of the dunes, mm-hmm. or woman in the dunes. I can see that. Of uh, Walt is like the townspeople in that movie. He is someone who has lived under oppression, who is mimicking that oppression onto a lower class. Yes. He is someone who has been exploited, who is being an exploiter. Right. Now, that does not excuse his actions, right? No, absolutely not. I mean, what I would say, though, is there's two – there's some important points, right? Like – you're right. Like that is absolutely a thing that is happening here. Um, I think worth n- worth noting is is in the Woman of the Dunes, what we don't ever come to understand is how much those exploiters, how much those townspeople are in sort of how much they are. I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a term. Sort of, I'm, I keep wanting to say invested in the system. But we know they're heavily invested in the system. What I mean is like, right how much they believe in the system and how much is them yeah. feeling like the system has to exist for them to be able to live. Right. Because the system in woman of the dunes is fundamentally sort of economic, right? Like they oppress. Right, but, so, right. But Walt, the character himself says a gringo like me has an easy life, a privileged life. Yeah, no, that's but what I'm know, saying. Okay. That, that we know that he works at a liquor store and has to work part-time as a janitor. <laughs> Right, no, I know. What I'm saying though is is that but but we're talking about we we can get sort of reductionist and say, well, it's all part of the same power structure, which it is, but there is a fundamental difference between the sort of like Walt's thing in this movie is primarily focused on sexual exploitation. Right. And physical And he is not himself being sexually exploited. Physically in the film. Right. He probably was at some point in, in his life. That that seems a fair assumption. Based on the things he says, um, yeah. but what I'm saying is there is a fundamental difference between that and economic exploitation. And one of the dunes, we don't know anything about the oppressors. Right, they are even putting masks some of the times. Right, they are they are sort of metaphorical beings. Right, whereas this is told from the perspective of the oppressor. In this, you know in this scenario and yeah. he well, team he's well okay but i want to like explain where i'm coming from for here is that because we did that he believes that what he is doing is kind of he seems to believe what he is doing is a, 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 a thing he should do like he couches the thing he's allowed to do right he sort of self-justifies though it's more than allowed though there's a few times i can't remember the exact quotes but there's a few times where he Seems to kind of like want to like play it off as a circle of life thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, well, you know, we got to just, I like he's somehow making like improving them or helping them or something. It's it's got a he's got a very like the character in Malanoche has a really weird vibe that like it's a Eventually, little hard to lock down how he thinks. Yeah. Later in the film, some of the things he does and says suggest he's taken a paternal interest in these boys. Right, to, but like right. a paternal interest in Whereas somebody movie, who are you are, yeah, doing still that sexually too, attracted to is right? is not less fucked up. It's more right, no, like no, certainly not. Like 
like but my point is is like I, I i i know where you're coming from with woman of the dunes it's just i feel like the breaking point there is the fact that like who, who we see as our main character and certainly and and, and i'm not and, saying it's a one-to-one comparison right, yeah. i'm not saying that van zant is inspired by the power structure of woman of the dunes either it's a different story very much um, I will say that another thing in Women of the Dunes that maybe we didn't talk about enough during that episode is the ways in which the main character in Women of the Dunes uh, becomes an exploiter of the woman. Absolutely, yeah. We didn't uh, get a we didn't force that much power of that. structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I think I think uh, uh, Walt's in the movie Walt's experience of exploitation is a cross sectional <laughs> exploitation too it is not it is not just sexual uh it is to sexual ends and is out of his desire um and he believe but he believes that desire to be love and and that he's acting out of love even as he is acting very specifically to get the ends of right sexual but desire. you know i mean lots of sexual he, predators uh, believe right. that There's yes a- but lots of Lots of people who have no interest in sex, uh, in in the way this power is working out, will use love as as the terminology, and, yeah, and frequently this this yeah. sort of ideology get gets weaponized toward uh, LGBTQ people, right? Uh, where where it is the the exploitation I am putting on you is out of love, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And and in that same way, uh, when rebuffed, Walt reacts as if it is a condemnation. Him being rebuffed in this leads him to say some pretty overtly racist things Absolutely. about all Mexicans yes. or all Hispanics, right? Walt gets uh, very racist. Walt gets incredibly racist to the point where one one day when he sees the kids walking down the street, he starts loudly reading a newspaper report about an illegal immigrant who murdered a guy. Yeah. Uh, well, and this is another environment where the documentary does provide us with some context, which is Walt in the documentary is also a racist. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just saying, uh, like, it, it helps us right, understand right, how right. closely this movie hymns to reality. Right, right. And and another aspect of that is the culture he comes out of in rural Oregon, right? Right. Uh, Eastern Oregon is a a racist part of the country. It's uh it's a part of the country. Oregon was started Oregon's as a, original yes. state constitution banned was, black people. Oregon was started uh, legitimately as some sort of white paradise. It it's right. An insane <laughs> right. place. Right. And and that ideology survives to this day particularly in uh, the eastern, more rural portions of the of the state, but all over, uh, and and Portland is one of the reasons Portland's uh, sort of leftist politics are so dynamic, uh, particularly when they make the news, is because they are put into a stark contrast on a daily basis against pretty white right wing racist forces right uh and that is a fight a struggle that is constantly happening in oregon um and that is a struggle that that forms walt's background i think too um these are ideologies that he probably grew up with uh and 
often we want certainly an intersectional attitude that says i recognize that the oppression i have faced is at least analogous to the oppression you have faced and therefore i support you uh as much as i want you to support me right well that's yeah that's but that does not play out yeah and and very often uh very often that does not play out right uh particularly when class is introduced right particularly when race is introduced right i mean yeah <laughs> absolutely and no, and we, I, we because of the things that that walt says we do come to understand that his behavior is 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 definitely i mean we get into this crazy question about like race versus class and the reality of that is is that they're sort of inseparable but like um right he is at least his behavior is to a certain extent racially motivated in like who he chooses to air quotes love. Right. right? Like he's making choices based on his power position compared to other people to decide. Right. Like, I mean, like it, it, this movie, <laughs> I don't know, man. Yeah. Uh, it's a hard one because like he is like, an an overtly unpleasant person to like right. focus on and that's what makes the movie interesting but yeah right right uh Gusman Zant I feel like the point of this movie, it would be very easy thinking of uh, Gus Van Zandt as a gay director, that perhaps uh, part of his motivation here is the tragedy of a gay man in love with a straight boy. Right. And that that's a very easy reading of this I movie. I don't – yeah, but I don't – But it's not the re- reading of this movie I take away from it. I certainly. don't think it's right. – I don't think it's the right reading of this movie, period. Right. I think that's a way to see this movie on a surface level. What I think this movie is about is that Gus Van Zandt recognizes that Walt's character is terrible. Yeah, no, totally. I, I think that's true. I, I want to be very clear. The tragedy clear. is this not is... – yeah. Sorry, go – You I, go ahead, please. Okay, so like – We've talked in the past about whether or not a director tells us that the person they're focusing on is a bad person. Right. Let's be very clear here. Gus Van Zandt makes it very, very clear. Right. Very clear. Very clear that Walt's There's a bad no person. world where you watch – well, I mean, okay. There's definitely a world where you watch this movie and you think somehow it's like – because, I mean, we, we live in our world. Yes. Like, there were probably right. people right. who were like, I'm sure this – I'm sure there were – I'm sure. I don't even know how to finish the sentence. I'm sure there are people who freaked out about this movie because I know what America is yeah. like. Um, but this movie is not a movie where this person is being telegraphed as a good person. But the but Gus Van Zandt is pretty clear about what makes him a bad person. Right. And is very clear about what elements of his personality and his behavior makes him a bad person. The movie's very clear. It's just yeah. when you make a movie about a bad person... 
that's always going to be kind of a tough watch. Yeah. And that's, that's take my own private Idaho for instance. Um, that is a movie that is very much about conflicted male relationships, uh, mm-hmm. the alienation of youth, uh, but is from the point of view of the youth characters, right? Whereas here, the point of view is is from someone peripherally involved with the alienated youth, right? Uh, <laughs> who just wants to have sex with the alienated youth, one of them in particular, but he'll settle for the other one. Uh <laughs> So it's it's tough, of course, to say what you want to say when you're focusing on the other character in the narrative, right? Right, right. But and that's but, okay, frequently, ahead. I think, in the past when you've complained that a movie doesn't do well enough to say who's the bad guy. It's because we're focusing on the bad guy and we're living in the bad guy's head. Whereas here, we're very much living in the bad guy's head, <laughs> but but it's fairly overt to understand well, yeah, why I mean, he's the bad guy. Right. Well, now, it's also complicated, though, too, right? Not everybody's good here. No. Certainly, certainly these kids aren't... Uh, aren't portrayed as angelic human beings. Right, but um, but again, like when, like, but we, you know, Gus Van, again, like, like this movie is just plain as day clear. Like, it's it's not, right. it's not muddled in any way because, you know, I mean, again, I'm sure there are people who could watch this and be, come away with a very muddled understanding of what the movie's trying to say. It's definitely possible. But like, you know, we've talked about like this, we talked about this with like American gun violence and things like that. It's like, or or the shooting of African American uh, youth or something like that. Like, there's no these cho- these young men are not angels. Has basically nothing to do oh, with their yeah, expectations. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. That's and I know you don't mean that, but I, what, I, right. what I'm saying is is that like and the, Gus Van Sant doesn't mean that either, right? Uh, as far as I right. can tell, like I mean, based on what I see in here, what he is trying to do is help the audience watch and understand how the sort of cycle of exploitation happens right. and and that like to help us understand that like one kind of person who exploits people right. who is not like, and, and to help us understand that the exploitation is not always coming from that high up the ladder. Right. Now, now Van Zant might say that he just wants to tell this story. Right. But I feel like, my takeaway from this narrative is that when we're first introduced to, well, at least for a couple of minutes, we want to be sympathetic to Walt, right? Yeah. And and my empathy does lie with Walt, ultimately. But it lies more with those kids, because those kids are exploited on multiple levels. Right. Right. Uh, and then the one guy in a position to maybe help them out a little— is also exploiting them in that help. right, and, and my even and though I, he thinks he's being a nice guy, it's a very it's a very liberal view of that help too, right? A very common neoliberal view of that help is what I mean. In that, in that, I will help you, but I am exploiting you. It's right, means tested help. Totally. Right. I mean, I mean, where where I run into the problem is is that where where I run into a very specific issue is that the sexual component of it makes Walt significantly less 
me my empathy for for Walt to be significantly less it's harder because when you get into like cycles of 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 economic exploitation they're kind of you're kind of it's fairly easy to understand right like you were you are being exploited and so you exploit further down to make sure that you don't catch the sort of worst end of the stick right like that's that's the when when you get into things like sexual desires and things like that you get into a thing that like functions kind of differently you know what i mean like what could not sexually exploit them right like whereas when we get into something like woman of the dunes right you you imagine a power structure where the where the the men at the top of the pit exploit downward because that's what they do to survive so that they don't end up in the pit you know what i mean like a very what s- simple linear line what i am saying here is that for walt all this exploitation is the same for the message of this movie all this exploitation is the same right I, it's but but for me as a as a viewer it's hard yeah. for me to categorize them all being the same it would be very easy for the current democrat power structure in the united states to push welfare for all instead of saying ah oh, we're going to make it easier for people to get on cobra and pay right. the entire cost of their work or of their their workplace provided health insurance uh, on their own while they're out of work uh that's that's right. bullshit. Well, okay, but like, okay. Well, give so, me. Let me give you a separate example that comes from a different direction. <laughs> not, not to like. To, I just want to get this out here and kind of throw it out here as a yeah. sort of a different way of thinking about it. Because one example of what's happening here is that the plan is to not give any of the job-related support to anybody who works in industries that are sex industries or sex industries adjacent okay um which includes things like hostess clubs which have no sexual component whatsoever okay yeah. or well, well we've we've talked about that the sexual component is not overtly sexual what, what i mean exist, is like, yeah so. but the, what i mean but, is yes. is that they're not even qualified at like in the sort of legal structure in japan not even qualified as sex work okay yeah is what i mean uh, there's a plan to current plan is to not give them any of that support, okay, with regards to like childcare support and things like that. And uh, th- this is a whole to do in Japanese Twitter and stuff that has that probably has not creeped a lot over into the United States at all, okay. But yeah. it's a big deal here because uh, a lot of single moms work in those kind of jobs. Uh, who need specifically need a lot of government support in a time like this where their children are being forced to stay home uh, and therefore they're having to choose between going to work and not. And a lot of them have been furloughed because a lot of those clubs have shut down. So what I'm saying is, is the decision to not include them is not based on the same sort of decision to not give us enough money. It's extra exclusionary because of factors that are part of the power structure and part of the patriarchy that has less to do with money and more to do with like view like views of women's sexuality in in right. Japanese society. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not trying to make this a class reduction. What I'm saying is that as far as as far as perhaps Van Zant's concern here is 
is that all exploitation is bad exploitation. Right. Well, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, of course. And, and But what I would say is that I think Van Zandt had choices about how he helped us to understand those things. And maybe that's his goal. Maybe that's not his goal. But I think he does seem to... I don't know. I seem to think I seem to feel like he's is showing certain parts of the exploitation more intensely than others. Cuz there's also an there's also weird ex, economic exploitation happening here too, right? Like he's offering there like part of his power structure is the fact that he is able to give them any money at all. Right. And that's that's why that's why I think all of this <laughs> exploitation is similar or or the same in in Zant here. Because what he is exploiting them uh, across the board, right? Racially, right. economically, uh, <laughs> age-wise, and and his intent is for sexual gratification. But that exploitation would be wrong uh, if his intent was to get them to clean his toilet, right? It's just it's like you're helping people for the wrong reason. Period, right? I, yeah, is, I understand. Is what but, I mean you know, to say here. I get what you're saying. I, you know, I, for me, I don't know on a sort of just on a personal level when it, when it has, I don't know. It's just for, I think it's probably a personal perspective thing to a certain extent, mm -hmm. like how different people view, uh, they, it, it's hard for human beings, I think, to not form sort of hierarchies of exploitation, hierarchies of evil. Uh, and I think for different people, those things get categorized differently. Uh, I think Van Zandt is definitely trying to make that clear. Uh, but I think that um, sort of the way, because the movie focuses so intensely on sort of the sexual component of it, maybe Van Zandt is trying to add that as a sort of... Right. I just think the sexual component is how it manifests in Walt's life and that Van Zandt is actively engaging with the life of the real life wall. Right, I get right. that, but Van Zandt also so, chose who he was going to make a movie about and chose and the person that's who fair, exploits right. who no, exploited that's people this fair. way. Like yeah. if you want to make a movie about exploitation, you can do that about almost right. any capitalist person like any person who participates in the capitalist structure right. in the fucking right. world. But that's but that's that is the exploitation that Walt is explicitly uh experiencing within the narrative himself though, right? That wage slavery. Right. Right, but but that, but the movie doesn't focus that much on Walt's exploitation. It does, a, it does, but not. I think showing his need for a second job as a janitor is part of showing that exploitation. Right, I, could it be I more know. explicit? Certainly. What, yes, what I'm but. saying is, is that the movie has a focus, and its primary yeah. focus is on Walt's relationship with those young men. Right, not on Walt's general relationship. Right, like, I mean, you could make another movie where it's just Walt, like, going to work every day, and it's like Walt, like, this, this, you know, there's... But we we do see a lot of Walt just going to work, though, so... That's true. Well, we we see a lot of Walt at work. <laughs> we don't see a, a lot of Walt working, okay? Like, I don't know. It seems, I, I, I'm just saying, like, Van Zandt had a choice about how he wanted to, what he wanted to focus the camera on most. And it's Walt, but it's more about Walt's relationship with these men than it is about Walt's relationship with his own labor. 
That's fair. Yes. And I don't and so, I don't think that like that's not a comment that like Van Zant was trying to make a film about like this specific topic, but like I said he had a there's a a fair number of writings out there that could be used as a basis for talking about exploitation like economic exploitation by one class of another class. Walt's story is special because of who Walt is. And and specifically the activities he he be like his behavior in his story about himself, right? Right. And and something right. about this story got a lot of like got Van Zant very interested, obviously. Yeah. Walt never interacts with his boss. The only power above Walt that exists in this universe we see, besides the fact that it takes place in the real world, which I think is is important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, but beyond that, perhaps right now, the only power above Walt uh, in the life here is uh, is the police and immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, does Walt Walt never? threatens to no, use immigration so. against no. the kids no or or call the police on them and I in fact in in fact there are points where he could have and didn't which i guess he gets points for not being the worst person he could have right. been I, but uh, but then again keep in mind though that even when you don't you we as an audience you know we, you were we were talking about other power structures just like 20 seconds ago and like you know I, you can make the opposite argument of what I was making, which is like that is a uh, that's a threat and a power structure that the whole world knows is there, right? Including the characters in the movie, right? Like you don't, yeah. He inherently has power because of that dynamic, right? Like he right. doesn't have to threaten to call immigration right. to. Oh, absolutely, right? Like uh, not, yeah. Just as a point Listen. that's worth thinking about. Right, right, and in the. Uh in the world we exist in and and again why i why i point out that this movie takes place in the real world as far as we're concerned there's very little difference between this film universe and reality uh those kids have every reason to be fearful of any white person they interact with right which adds right. a component to their interactions with Walt, like an which unspoken is, component. Which is a another component of the, the power differential in the relationship, too, right? Absolutely. And part of what makes Walt a bad person is that all of his internal monologues fail to grapple with that at all. Now, he does at one point, as I already pointed out, say that as a a gringo, he has a certain privilege, right? A privileged life. But he never grapples with – he never puts himself into their shoes really at all. He never – well, he never acknowledges that 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 certain advantage means that he is being exploitative, which is what you want him to do, right? Right. Right. But you, uh, but then again, we don't want him to do it because that would not make it right. less. Terrifying. If he's consciously being exploitative, well, which, it's but even he worse. is also being but. consciously exploitative. We hear him straight up <laughs> say that he is being 
right, in a, right, in, right. and not so many words. But he offers them money, right? right. Like after is, dinner didn't work, after a ride home didn't work, he just flat out offers them money, right? right. He hits rock bottom within the first 20 minutes of this movie. Right. Uh, and mean, the rest but, of the you know, time what, is him again, pretending it, like he hasn't. It gets really, like the whole concept gets really complicated, right? Because there's nothing inherently evil about sex work. But these are not no, sex workers. No, no. These are young <laughs> these men are sarc- who these aren't sex workers. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, he's not, well, you he's know not what I mean? He's paying right? like, for it's... sex. He's bribing for sex. Right. Well, and he's that's... not even bri- like it's even it's like you want to be able to eat essentially. Well, right. Here's what you got to do to eat, right? Uh right. And and what see what kind of we kind of circle back to what I was kind of talking about though is that in a normal straight flat ec- sort of economic sort of exploitation sort of cycle we get a linear through line of the the material being exploited for you know what i mean like when you're when you're talking about the exploitation of labor right it just sort of trickles down right like you fairly cleanly when you talk about something like sex we don't like we don't see walt being exploited sex being exploited from walt that may have happened earlier in his life we don't see it happening. It's not a commodity that he doesn't have enough of that he feels like he needs to get from somebody else so that he can pay it up in his sort of in the line of exploitation. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This is a thing that Walt wants that Walt and and we can talk about people as sexual beings and things like that all we want. But it's a thing Walt doesn't have to have in order to like function today. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's he's exploiting for a thing he purely once right that is that makes it different in in tone and category than exploiting for like okay i've got to exploit these people further down the line so that i can make sure i eat right that is a different thing than i really want to have sex with young men right now i will now go about the process of making that happen using my power is it right those are different things they just have to be different things because one of them is a need and one of them is not a need and you know, sex being a, a need, I understand that's the hierarchy, but nonetheless, what yeah. <laughs> people very rarely die die from being undersexed. Uh, it is very stressful. It's a very horrible thing, but it is not <laughs> the same thing uh, as what those young men are experiencing. That is fair. Um, now, the movie does go out of its way to see to show us those young men being exploited by forces that aren't. Uh, Walt, right? absolutely, totally, yeah, we, yeah. and we, I think that fits into the category of Van Zant wanting to be clear that exploitation yeah. is multifaceted, right? We we talk to the supervisor at least of the uh, the migrant workers, you know, at one point, you know, says, no, he's a good worker, but there's nothing to do right now, you know. We we frequently interact with police, and 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 Johnny disappears from the narrative because he was picked up by immigration, right? right? Yeah. Um. A thing I had and, forgotten well, about, and and uh, in the sense that like we talked about that power being sort of semi invisible, but it's actually quite right. present. I had just forgotten right. that that was it a is, thing that happened. It, it really is very much present. Yeah. Um. And of course, it's the police that kill Pepper, right? Yeah. You know, mistakenly, even right? They they raid, and and he doesn't offer due deference i guess is right really what happens um 
which you know is again it's it's still we care about these kids yeah and we care about these kids from the nature of what's happening but especially because the only person who seems to be in a position to help them isn't is himself exploiting them we care about them more so right and then something like that happens and that is something that very regularly happens right right Uh, be it what happens to johnny or what happens to pepper and those aren't even the extremes of what could happen right right so yeah so yeah it's it's a fascinating movie um and it's a fascinating movie beyond it being a sort of gritty gay narrative from a time when movies like this weren't made right, right. and and that, i mean that makes it a that and is certainly. an extra f- component that makes it more like can yeah. sort of makes it more fascinating but like the sort of information contained in the movie is not exclusively what one would call a gay narrative or something like that right right yeah well well, it's homosexuality is intrinsic to the sort of exploitation that he's putting on these people. Right, and the but, people that he's putting it on to, right? Like the, the, right. the sort of victims of his exploitation. Right. And if, if for instance, they were 16-year-old girls, uh, it would be a different sort of exploitation, I think, as far as how it hits us. But ultimately, it is it would the be same the, sort It would of come from the same fundamental place. Right, right. Um. Yeah, if this were the same story with a straight narrative, it would be a very different story, but because of patriarchy and the patriarchal right, yeah, and, that, and, and, and some of that would be on us, with, for sure. And that would be, a lot of that would be on us, I think. <laughs> and, and I think, so, well, yeah. and that's the thing, right, is that we would, but it would still be, the exploit, the fundamental nature of the exploitation would be the same. Right, right. Um. Another thing, Zan. It's a very short interview, but Zan and Van Zand covers a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things in that interview. It's only like two minutes, I think. Um, Is it really only two? I should have watched it. Oops. Yeah. Oh well. Yeah. Unless I'm unless I'm misremembering, but I'm I'm pretty sure it's under five. It was just so good. Um, it went by so fast. I thought it was like forty nine yeah. minutes or something. I don't know why I thought that. I, I guess I, did, I could be. I, wrong. I I didn't check. Let's be very clear here. I did not go back and check to find out. Yeah. I'm a very um, lazy person. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I uh I had a lot of free time in that I was doing uh some other work <laughs> that I did not need to actively right. actively engage with visually uh to listen to this interview. So um but uh but one of the other things he talks about is is distribution. Oh, it is actually twenty five minutes. It's it's much longer than I thought. That's how checked shorter out than I thought, longer than you thought, but which yes. is a fascinating but place yes. to be. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, uh, but one of the other things he talks about is uh, distribution. You know, if uh, making a, a gay movie in nineteen eighty six, right? Yeah, most distribution companies would be like, uh, we'll put one of those out, uh, and it's going to be something European. 
right. they've already they've already done it by the time Gus Van Sant gets there with his twenty five thousand dollar right. It, well, indie a, film a fascinating shot in thing is is you could you could totally. I can totally see me seeing a movie that is this just with like French or Spanish subtitles. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the black and white adds to that too. Yeah, right? it, it's it's a kind of a wild thing when you think of it. if you put French and or or Spanish on the bottom or uh yeah. dialogue with with English subtitles it'll be like, "Yep, yeah, this all checks out." Yeah. Um It's uh all that to say that this film faced an uphill battle across the board, right? And the fact that we're seeing it at all is maybe surprising. Among among the many interesting things is, like, even Sundance outright rejected this movie. The really? Year interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But did, um, because of the content? I don't know why it was rejected. It just was rejected. And and to be sure, no matter why it was rejected, it could have been the content. Right, that's true. Yeah. Right. Whatever whatever official reason is offered. Um it's just uh you know, part of part of my takeaway on that comment about distribution is that uh the interest in gay cinema was the artsy stuff from Europe. Right. Or maybe Australia, but not not anything that was realistic to the lives of gay men or lesbians or whatever in the US. That was Well right. Something. They the, the entrance the interest was always adding that that element of foreignness makes it seem safer to talk about these topics, right? It's right. not here, right. it's somewhere else, right? Yeah. And and yeah. And this is this is years before what would get labeled new new queer cinema of independent uh, queer content in U.S. markets. This paves the way for it, but it is that that's not something that really happens until the '90s. So, right. And then by the end of the '90s, uh, <laughs> we're to really mainstream weird exploitation you know we've got chasing amy or or uh uh ellen by the time we get out of the decade right yeah and it's and it is a a process in which you can say oh it's become mainstream but also nothing like malanoche has become mainstream right so. it, it, it's still it, it is still that sort of cleansing and that that sort of whitewashing sort of behavior that we see with like in order to exploit this thing we also have to do things to it to make it palatable to mainstream audiences right yeah 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 um one more note on the documentary though i ran across this great quote from slant magazine's write-up of uh the criterion release of malanoche uh on the documentary uh this is, uh, I believe, the last paragraph of the of the article. Much less informative is Walt Curtis, the Peckerneck Poet, the 1995 documentary on the author whose memoir laid the groundwork for the film. No wonder Van Zant ultimately decided not to cast the Portland writer in his own role. He's a completely obnoxious character. <laughs> the first ten minutes should give you a substantive enough look at Curtis's art on the edge of madness. Then you'll want to take a long shower. 
I, I can't they didn't even honest... make it to the mud wrestling. They no. didn't even make it to the mud wrestling. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I would never blame somebody for not wanting to watch an hour of this person. Okay? <laughs> yes. Like, I get it. I get it. But this, this, that documentary is, in fact, packed, chock packed full of informative information about the person in this film. Yeah. It just, it is. Like, it provides so much sort of context for who this person is. None of it's necessary. You can watch the movie totally without it and be fine. Like, the movie will be, it's totally functional without it. But seeing, like, that this person's behavior extends completely outward into the into the real world in every direction uh, yeah. is a thing that I find very fascinating. It's like if you got to watch Grey Gardens with also a movie, like, a movie about the life of those sisters. You know what I mean? Like, with an if they came together as a them. box set. What? <laughs> yeah. With an actual documentary, that yeah, like with a, an act, it's hard to explain because we did, that's is not a documentary, but you know what I mean. Like, if if, but kind of the interview, the the documentary of Walt Curtis is still in the sort of Grey Gardens vein, right? Like, you get the right. impression that he's being not just like prompted, but like everybody's on board for the this performance piece, right? Like he's giving stage direction. Throughout the documentary, you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. he's like, okay, and then you'll pan it. Or you'll, you'll, you know, it'll be a close up right here, and that'll be the money shot, and all. You know what I mean? Like all this stuff that implies that like he's a knowing participant in a thing that is somewhat theatrical, right? Right. Um. So what I'm, what I'm saying is, if there were a Grey Gardens documentary that also included like a a drama a dramatization of the sisters' lives when they twenty years before, you, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it would they yeah. would be a fascinating pair to exist together, just as these are. The documentary is interesting. <laughs> I like I said at the at the top of this, I'm I'm glad that you watched it uh, because it is. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to not talk about it, but I also didn't want to be. It one-sided me explaining everything in the documentary. Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is um, it's a fascinating movie. I'm sure that you and I, being two straight white Midwesterners, uh, barely scratched the surface. Of, oh yeah, for sure. But you know, we we did our best. Know. Uh, I personally, whatever Van Zant might have might have meant with this uh i think it's got pretty clear and easy political readings that we've explored oh yeah so, you know uh, for sure and and what i what i think is an interesting sort of value element to this is the fact that it it, it addresses exploitation that exists beyond just pure the pure economic scope which I think right. is a fat a thing we don't get very often, honestly. I was impressed the closing credits. One, it's obviously everyone having fun with color uh footage. Um but uh but also I'd never heard of the Neo Boys, the uh, all female punk band who started in like nineteen seventy six, uh who provides the uh uh their song Rich Man's Dreams is what plays over the closing credits. 
and uh, it's a really good song, and they're a really great band. So check <laughs> well, them out. You learned something new. You discovered yeah. something new. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Malanoche uh, from 1986, directed by Gus Van Zant, based on Walt Curtis, who, as the as the quote I read from the Slant article uh, alluded to, uh, Curtis was at first going to play himself in this movie. Right. Uh, and I have to I have to assume that Slant's reading of that is right that Van Sant's like uh no. You can Yeah, yeah no thank you. <laughs> you can talk on camera for five minutes. Yeah, and you um, can watch. But not talk. And you can you can hang out if you want. Um but yeah. Yeah. Uh next week uh we will be talking about Breathless, the 1960 feature length debut of Jean Luc Goddard. Uh, so yeah, look forward to that this week. It's been Malinoche from 1986, directed by Gus Van Zandt. Thank you once again for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Listening to Lost in Criterion, hosted by John Patrick Oatari Dorgan and the Adam Glass, who edits it. We're a production of WithTwoBrains.com. Jonathan Hape does the music. Check him out at JonathanHape.bandcamp.com. And hey, if you like us, why don't you give us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash lost in criterion. We'd appreciate it. <laughs>